Enjoy this fascinating journey into Olympic athlete status with synchronized swimmer, Danielle Kesselwell. This conversation gives you some real insight into the training, preparation and dedication required for a sport that many of us know little about. Danielle shares how she went from a girl who didn't necessarily view herself as a particularly gifted at synchro to a confident, flourishing lady who represented Australia in the Rio 2016 Games and all that that journey entails. Danielle talks about the actual experience of the Games and her emotions at the opening ceremony and the way she describes that is really, really quite engrossing and symbolises her entire journey to get to that point. While the achievement is obviously enormous, the most fascinating aspect to this conversation is the emphasis she places on the journey to achieving her goal and the learnings Danielle gathered during the process, as well as how it shaped her identity and the view of what she's capable of. Danielle has a wonderful energy about her and I really, really enjoyed spending time with her, which makes it really easy to be caught up in her story and her energy and her motivation and really feel what she went through. So enjoy, Danielle. Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host, Bryn Edwards. Backing yourself, taking massive risks, stepping out of your comfort zone, and realizing that the process may be where the gold lies, not necessarily in the end goal itself, are just some of the themes we're gonna be diving into with my guest, Olympic synchronized swimmer, Danielle Kettlewell. Danielle, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So be honest, what's it like when you get introduced <laughs> with the word Olympic or Olympian? Is it well, cool? Um, it's cool now, I would say. Um, and it's the weird thing is when you it just starts to become your normal, I think. Yeah. Um, initially, right after it happened, I was, you know, my especially my family, they were kind of dropping the Olympian bomb as often yeah. as they could. My Proud mom's parents. still, yeah, like in any conversation that she can, she'll just somehow work in that her daughter's an Olympian. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, uh, it, I feel really honored, especially, I mean, you'll find out, but um, I was never really supposed to be an Olympian. So to have that word attached to my name, yeah. I just have so much pride and, and yeah. I really, really walk around um, with my head held high. You so know, say, it's, one. so it's like a tattoo that will be with you. And I've well, noticed you yeah, do have, have one tattoo, on your yeah. ankle. <laughs> yeah. I wrote this question down beforehand yeah. and then walked in. Oh, yeah, there you yeah. go. She's got a tattoo on her ankle. But yeah, it's like a tattoo that's always going to be with mm. you. You will always be, you know. Olympic yeah, career. that's what they say. Like you are, you're never a past Olympian. You just are, are an Olympian. Are it's kind of a, a very cool uh, title that you can take with me. And recently, we just got like uh, all Olympians in the world. You can put an O L Y next to your name, like a PhD. So that's pretty cool. Really good for resumes, trying really? to get jobs. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, stuff like that. So um, we're going to deep dive into yeah sort of why and how you came to western australia because the observant listeners will pick up that you don't necessarily yeah, have an yep. aussie accent um but you came here in 2014 mm -hmm. from vancouver in in canada what was your relationship with western australia like before you came I literally knew nothing about Western Australia. So my um, bit of background, my parents are from Sydney. So I'm I'm from Vancouver, Canada. My parents are from Sydney. So I'm lucky enough to have dual citizenship. Um, so I uh, grew up flying, you know, to Sydney to visit my family, um, but uh, had literally never heard of Western Australia. You know, I think it's uh, most people don't realize it even exists in the world. <laughs> yeah, um, so when I, uh, I moved here um, in May of 2014, I literally 
really knew no one um, except for a few of my teammates and, and knew nothing about the place and kind of I remember I flew in had two suitcases landed you know got my phone got my bank account set up and then I kind of sat there at night and was like holy shit what did I just do <laughs> <laughs> I just left my entire life behind and I'm living in this city that is so far away from everyone else um, but it's been a beautiful process of kind of falling in mm. love with uh, Perth and, and, and seeing all the, the beauty that it has to hold in the people and in the nature and everything mm-hmm. what do you what do you enjoy about living here now Oh, just the lifestyle. I'd say it's just so laid back and wonderful. And the sunshine is unbelievable. So being in Vancouver, we have winter. I mean, winter is not too bad in Vancouver. You know, it rains um, quite a lot. It doesn't snow too much, but I find the darkness is hard, you know, in wintertime. So it can be dark. Um from about you know 5 p.m. 4 p.m. Yeah. onwards, and then it doesn't. The sun doesn't rise till about 7:30, 8 a.m. Um, so I just love the sunshine. Like I feel like a blossom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I'm it's here. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then being near the ocean, it is unbelievable. And I uh, just moved closer to the beach, so I get to be close to that every day, and and the people, and um, I feel like everyone's just happier because they live such a a good life here. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Do you see it as home now, or? Is that- um, um, <laughs> if Vancouver still has my heart because that's where my whole family is. So I'm the youngest yep. of five children. Um, and wow. I actually have 14 nieces and nephews and my parents and my whole family is still there and a lot of my good friends. So that it holds my heart, but, um, Perth is definitely home for now. Um, I wouldn't say forever, but it's, it's home for now. And I'm very, very proud to be living here. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So... In 2014, you packed up your life and said cheerio to your family, moved here to Western Australia to pursue a dream of getting on the Aussie synchronized swimming team (laughs) with a view to going to Rio 2016. In 2016, you realized that dream, you got on the national team Mm -hmm. and you went to the Olympics. Yeah. Um, since then you've continued to train and your mm-hmm. next goal is obviously Tokyo 2020 yeah. as well as next year is it or is, this, is it this year yeah next year next um, year you want to go to the world yeah so aiming in... for the world championships um, and I'm yeah. also part of uh, Australia has its first mixed duet yes. um, so that's with a boy which is really exciting so I'm training now with a boy um, with a boy with a boy <laughs> well he I'm 25 about to turn 26 and he's 18 so <laughs> he makes me feel very old but he's so lovely. Um, his name's Ethan, and we've been training together for about maybe six months now, and we're aiming to head to the FINA World Championships uh, in South Korea next year. So it's pretty exciting, and you know we still have to um, be selected, but um, to be able to compete as Australia's first mixed duet in uh, in you know in in our sport is just such an honor. So I'm really excited for that, and it's kind of like paving the new way of synchronized swimming. Mm. You know, and most people associate synchronized swimming with women and like old ladies and flower caps. But uh, <laughs> I think just trying to change that perception and, and showing that, you know, boys can be involved as well. And it actually men are yeah. a lot better at synchro than women are just because What's naturally that? they have a lot more upper body strength. Um, so just because that is the way men are built. Um, so and our sport is spent, 
you know, most of the time upside down. So they're, once they get really good at it, they can actually be a lot better than, than women can. But there's only, you know, a handful of men in the world that are um, training now at the elite level. And only in 2015 um, were men actually allowed to compete on the world stage. So there was men. So there's this one man, um, his name's Bill May in America. And he actually tried out for the 2000 American Olympic team. And he wasn't allowed because he was a man. You know, and the stories that you don't really hear about because yeah. it's kind of the opposite um, sexism that we're used to um, but it's it's the the future of synchronized swimming is very exciting to say the least so keep mm. your eyes peeled <laughs> Excellent. yeah so just recapping that story yeah you know, there's this huge element of sort of grit determination pardon the pun synchronicity as yeah. we'll find out <laughs> and you know sort of grace power self-discovery where does that come in Danielle's story where do you draw that from is it role modeled or is it something you found in yourself um that's a really good question I'd say I think that the my sport really um conditioned me um to be who I am today and I learned that through training so I started synchro um when I was eight years old um and uh as I say I was never really I was not good at it um but I I did it because um after a while, I fell in love with the sport, and I loved um, what it brought to me. And I brought—I love the friendships. I love how um, it made me work hard, really, really hard every day. So, um, you know, I was in high school training about twenty hours a week on top of, high, um, you know doing all my studies um, and I just learned how to become tough and learn how to set goals and go after them and um, uh, get them um, and, and figure out you know what who I become in the process and and being challenged in a group environment that's what I love about synchro you know being part of a team and working towards it with other people um, it makes you the best version of yourself um, and, I, and I think all of that really was molded from my sport and uh, molded just from my parents and you know my dad is a an amazing human being um, who uh, moved to Canada a long time ago and uh, pretty much has made his own, you know, entire business, um, that he's created over there. And I think I've, I've gotten very lucky to have gotten some of his hard work and determination. And, um, that combination is kind of diabolically led me to, uh, <laughs> where I am today. Yeah. So you said made you tough. What do you mean by that? Oh, the stuff that, this is what people don't know about our sport. I think we what we do is i i will argue always that it is the hardest sport out there you know we are moving what is that? well we're going up and down the pool um so within a four minute routine you're being you're up for 10 seconds under for 20 up for 10 under for 15 up for five under for 30 you are doing that amongst seven other people being coordinated the entire time being kicked but you can't make you can't let anyone know because you have to smile the entire time you're <laughs> holding your breath um you are counting the music you're moving up and down the pool you're moving all of your limbs at the same time your brain is constantly going the things that we go through in training is absolutely ludicrous and when people actually come out to watch our training and a lot of people at WACE and um have said to us that we're one of the hardest working sports out there. In the lead up to the Olympics, we were training six hours a day in the water, two, three, sometimes four hours on land, six days a week. You know, other sports just don't do that. That's just not physically possible. That makes you so bloody tough at so the end of the day <laughs> that um, I am so grateful. There's many times where I thought I was going to die. You know, I don't think people really know what it's like to go without oxygen for that long. <laughs> Luckily, we live in a world where we're all able to breathe, but, um, you know, 
I've been underwater and you sometimes you start to black out, you see spots, you're you're literally convulsing underwater, but you have to perform to the best ability because your lungs are screaming at you for air, mm. but you can't let anyone know because when you come up, you need to smile. Um, yes. And I think that's where we hide a lot of um, people think that it's easy because we, we pop up and we're smiling at the end <laughs> of the day, but we're just fooling everyone, really. <laughs> it's kind of this fake it till you make it, which I, I love because that's kind of helps me in my life, you know. Um, if, if I didn't believe maybe that I was good enough to be somewhere or be heading in a certain direction, you just kind of fake it and pretend that you're there. Um, and, and you eventually start heading down that path um, and you start believing it. And what I love is we come up and we smile in synchro and we're dying. But after a little while, because you have that smile on your face, you start to believe it and you start to enjoy mm. yourself. Um, smile works back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, I, I think that, uh, like I said, synchro is the most amazing sport in the world and it needs to be given a little bit more of a platform to and get a bit more respect because uh, a lot of people don't know much about it mm -hmm. mm, why is that especially in australia i think um there's a bit more of misogyny, unfortunately, and the swimmers, very deserved, uh, get a lot of attention, um, but people just think it's a joke, and I think this is something that um, comes back to uh, funding and coverage, um, and you know, our sport in Australia doesn't really get any funding. We have our sponsors, Hancock Prospecting, but we get a very minimal from the government every year, um, and so to be part of the Synchronized Swimming Australian National Team, you have to pay sometimes up to $20,000 a year to be part of that team and considering on top of that you're training six days a week you know there's not a lot of extra time to work or you know be able to find another way to pay your bills so it takes um, a lot of sacrifice and that is kind of a catch-22 we don't get a lot of coverage um, because they say you know we're not at a a caliber to deserve it yet but we will never be at that caliber unless we get more funding but that mm. fund it's this kind of um cyclical nature yeah. but i think see, moving from canada to australia aussies love their sport they just love it so mm. much and that's something that i absolutely love um being here and being part of the australian national team and in the past it because if you are put on TV, they get behind you. Like the, yes. <laughs> the Commonwealth Games that was on the Gold Coast, you know, a few months ago, everyone was so into it. And, you know, I think people forget that, you know, not everyone in the world competes in the Commonwealth Games. It's actually a small pool of athletes. So yeah. the fact that Australia is getting like 200 gold medals, you know, um, is wonderful. But, you know, the, the, the pool is much smaller, but Aussies don't even care because if they're going to go out there and watch their country, they are so proud. And I think that if we got the ability to get more coverage, you know, and, and be on TV or, or be shown more often, people would watch because so yeah. many people say to me, oh, I love that sport. I watch it every four years. What do you guys do in between then? You know, like, yeah. like we're just like twiddling our Chilling thumbs out. and we're like, we actually train really hard all the time. And even with, you know, world championships, uh, that they televise the swimmers. Um, but there's also the divers, synchronized swimmers, water polo, open water swimmers. Um, but you know, channel seven, channel nine, choose not to, uh, let us be on TV. Um, but I think if they, you know, gave us that platform, people would watch. Mm. Yeah. Superb. <laughs> I don't know if that answered your question. No, 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 it did. <laughs> Roundabout it did. nature. It did. Um, so, break it down for me. Mm. How how does synchronized swimming work in terms of competition? Just so for, yeah. so for the listener who hasn't really encountered yeah. it because it's not been on yeah. TV. Yeah. How you know? So, what does a competition look like? How does it work? How do you score? How do you win? 
Yeah, so um, at the it is a sport. yeah, it is a sport. It's an amazing sport. Um, at the elite level, we have a, a technical and a free routine. So I kind of describe it. It's similar to a lot of artistic sports. If you've ever watched figure skating, um, we have a routine where we have technical elements. So there's about five elements that everyone has to perform in the team at the same time, and they're all uh, scored accordingly. And then there's a free routine where you can do whatever you want. Um, and at the Olympic Games, those scores are combined, and the total score. Um, ranked shows the winner mm. um so we our technical routine is about three ish three and a half minutes our free routine is four to four and a half minutes um and you go out there and you are judged on your um artistic ability so you know how you interpret the music um how they quite often you have a theme so um at the rio games we were embodying the australian flora and fauna so within our routine we had lots of cool different um, animal sounds and we were trying to um, show the different animals in australia whether that be the um kangaroos or whether that be the swan the black swans or snakes or um scorpions or you know whatever um and if they if you can get that artistry across that really helps your artistic score then there's the execution um which you know the synchronization of it all right you all did the same thing we all did the same thing at the same time um and then there's the difficulty so how hard are the moves that you are doing so you know not only we do do we do things synchronized but we also uh throw people out of the water in something called highlights so um if you ever have the chance to youtube it it is phenomenal so we are not touching the bottom uh we never touch the bottom because you get a penalty and you egg me three meters deep yeah so you make like a human pyramid under the water and everyone's egg beating up to the surface and you create uh, a human spring pretty much and the person on the top the acrobat jumps off usually you know ideally about two meters in the air does a flip and lands back in the water and this is in the middle of our four minute routine and you know we try and do maybe three four or five highlights in a routine Um, so you know the level of that uh, difficulty along with you know the other moves that you're doing kind of creates the overall score and we are scored out of 10 um so like a lot of artistic sports um which makes sense um and uh at the rio games uh we came eighth overall um and you know we weren't going for a medal or anything like that we were more just going out there and doing the best that we possibly could um and we were just so darn proud to be there and representing Mm. australia we'll Mm -hmm. we'll come to the olympics yeah (laughs) so um as you said earlier on you started when you were eight years mm. old, mm-hmm. but at 18, you actually retired. Yeah, yeah. Talk me through that. Yeah, so I started when I was eight. Um, Who took you down? My mum, actually. Um, so I did swimming. No offense, it's a bit boring, like the back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. There's certain repetition. <laughs> yeah, else, for sure. Um, and then I did gymnastics, but I'm like a bit too tall and like awkward on land (laughs) for gymnastics so my mom put me into some synchro classes because she thought it would be a good fit and uh I actually didn't like it for the first few years, which I think is pretty funny now, but I, I always say this. If I go and talk to little kids at schools, I'm like, listen to what your mom says and follow yeah. through. <laughs> um, and I fell in love with it after a few years. And, and I just was never really that good at my sport. And I knew that. Like, I was pretty self-aware to know that, you know, we're, we are ranked quite often in synchro. And when you're at the bottom of the ranks, it's it's easy to know that you're not the best. Yes. Um, but I, like I said, I could, I could work really hard. Um, um, and I loved it and I wasn't going to let that, that love, um, 
hard work, you know, uh, stopped me from doing my sport. And I uh, got to nationals in Canada, which I was really proud of. And How I was, old were you then? I was in year 11 and 12 at the time. Um, so 16, 17. And I thought that that was the pinnacle. And I was like the reserve, you know. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't really even compete. Um, and uh, I just thought that was it because I was never, would never have been good enough um, to make this Canadian national team. And that's kind of the next step. They're very good. Um, you know, if you, you at nationals in Canada, they take the top 25 um, that try out to make the top 12 squad to make the top eight um, uh, to be able to get onto the national team. And I was like past 100, to say the least. So, you know, I was not even close to being in the ranks to do that. And Canada is um, a, quite a bit better at synchro um, than Australia is. And I think that comes down to funding and um, hopefully that will change. But it just wasn't in the cards for me. And, you know, I knew that. And I was always um, a bit overweight when I was younger. And I was, I could work really hard, but, you know, I just had this uh, weight on me. And I was never the typical synchro body type as well. Um, we are a very aesthetic sport and you have to be long and lean. And I, it just wasn't me at the time. So I, uh, I retired, <laughs> which is so funny to say now, <laughs> at mm. 18. And um, it was really hard because I loved the sport so much and it was a really good learning lesson because I I realized that I loved it and I needed to stay involved in some mm. aspect How um, long did you start retired for? retired uh, for about a year pretty much mm. and then I started swimming masters so what um what, what was what was leading up to that retirement what 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 were you telling yourself I just, I just wouldn't I would never get anywhere I, like I wasn't good enough and um I you know, I thought, oh, maybe you could be like a coach someday or a judge, but you know, you'll never, I, I would never make anything of myself in the sport. That's, that's honestly what I thought. And that was back in, you know, 2010. Like if, if you would have told me six years later, I'd be competing at the Olympics for Australia. Like there's no way. Like I, I would have bet against myself. It was just so impossible. Um, but uh, I made it happen somehow. <laughs> Can you look back at yourself there? Mm. Do what? How do you feel about that? You know, listening to you speak mm. now, you know, oh, it never happened. Yeah. No way. And this, yeah. That, you know, you're, you're almost, as I, as I listen to you, you're almost talking yourself into that result, aren't mm. you? Yeah. I definitely, um, it, it makes me sad thinking of that then. Um, I, but also proud of what I've made of myself. I always mm. had this belief that I could be great. Um, and I just didn't know what avenue or aspect that would be. Um, and I, I just kept believing that had that deep belief in myself to allow that to fuel whatever it was in my life and I was trying mm. to figure out what it was and when I got the opportunity to come to Australia um I kind of thought well maybe this is my chance mm. um because I just have this you know desire to do good in the world um that is goes beyond me and um before you can do that I think you need to prove it and and, and show in in how you live your life um and prove I think to who? prove probably to myself at the end of the day and that's what I realized you know on my journey to the Olympics it I wanted to do it because I wanted to prove to myself that I could do it that I was good enough because ultimately you kind of had that duality like you know the angel and the devil like I I believed in myself but I also talked myself down yes. as you can probably hear and I I was trying to fight that all the time and proving to myself that I am good enough and that I am worthy um at the end of the day like that was the most important and and I the proof is in the pudding and I, and I did it which like just blows my mind <laughs> so do you inherently believe you're good enough now i 
I believe that I, I still struggle. And this is the thing. This is where I, like I, when I talk to people, I think it, it comes from within because, you know, I went to the Olympics and I still struggle with that self-belief sometimes. And so many people look at me and they're like, how could you not think that you're awesome or great or you achieve something or good at synchro? You went to the Olympics. I'm like, because at the end of the day, it's not the thing. It's not the goal. It's like how you feel about yourself. Mm. Um, and many days, you know, I'm working on that. Um, and I, I have really good days and I have bad days. Um, and, and that's just who I am. And, and, you know, I, I'm not standing up here or here as an Olympian being like, I have it all figured out. And, you know, I know the way and the path of life and all that stuff. (laughs) Like I, I am figuring it out and I am a real human being and, um, I did that and I'm proud, but, um, some days I don't believe in myself and I, I work through that. And some days I believe that I can be great. And, um, those are the days that lead me to great things, like onto the path of the Olympics. Hmm. Mm. How do you deal with it? Have you, you know, in a practical sense? Yeah, I've worked a lot on the fake it till you make it, honestly. Um, And I've heard people say that before. I just thought it was kind of a silly, like, synchro phrase. But I've heard many people say, fake it till you make it. Pretend that you are confident. Pretend that you believe in yourself. And eventually you do. And and I learned that from synchro I learned to embody that in the times where I didn't believe in myself because it was terrifying and like stepping into the fear of like holy shit you know what am I doing I'm moving to Australia I'm leaving my family behind I'm leaving my friends behind I'm like going after this ridiculous thing that people don't believe that I can achieve um but I'm just gonna pretend that I believe in myself um and that 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 belief grows and it like festers inside of you until it is real um and also you know positive affirmations I remember you know I was uh I was leading up into my Olympic team trials and we had to do for Olympic team trials we had to swim our routine six six times in a row um which is very hard (laughs) and then you would be judged on one of them but you know you had to do it six times and I was you know walking up to practice that by myself and really scared and then all of a sudden into my mind came I am strong I'm capable I'm confident um and that became my mantra pretty much um that I still say to myself now um and just kind of repeating those words and reminding yourself of that like in in your moments of self-doubt you um feeding that to your soul like I am strong I am capable I am confident enough Mm. to do this and whenever um that's it's an identity level exactly yeah and um you know whenever I compete now and and then I kind of stand in the power stance, you put your hands on your hips, wide um, legs, and you put your chest up. And I just repeat that to myself um, in my moments of doubt. And it honestly, it really, really helps. Um, and it's always a work in progress. I think mm. it needs to be like, you know, there is there is no end goal. It is a journey. Mm. So tell me about uh, the call up to, yeah. to, to yeah. come to Australia. Yeah, it's, uh, I... Because you were suffering from concussions. Yeah, I had a concussion at the time. It was just coming up to my... So you'd unretired. Um, I, yeah, I unretired. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's coming up to five years on Sunday, actually, because it's the day after my birthday. Um, and uh, I was concussed. Um, I was at a training session, and we did a highlight, like I was explaining before, where we one of my teammates went up and came down on my head. Um, and, uh, you know, we have no protection in synchro, so you can imagine somebody falling in your head. Um, it, it, you know, it's a similar impact to what you get in rugby or footy or something like that. Um, this is in training. Sorry. Yeah, in a training session. 
And I remember I went home that night and I had a midterm to study for the next day because I was in uni full time at the moment and I couldn't read the words on the page. And like I knew that they were words and I knew that it was English, but it just didn't make, I couldn't comprehend it. And I started, you know, I couldn't really talk to my mom. I, I had a really bad headache and ended up getting diagnosed with a concussion, which was so so hard I just felt like everything was taken away from me and I think not a lot of people know about concussions it's, you can't get you know it's hard you, you don't have stitches you're not bleeding you, you can't really get a cat scan yeah it's all in your head and it's very similar I relate it a lot to mental illness because no one else knows what's going on except for you in your mind um, and uh, I ended up having to drop out of my semester at uni and um, I was told you know how to recover from a concussion in the 21st century 2018 is you have to sit in a dark room and not do anything no screens no reading no tv no nothing you have to rest which is you know it's actually really hard um and very depressing and you know I um I I, uh, I don't suffer from depression luckily but I definitely fell into a depression I was just I would cry myself to sleep I was like why is this happening to me you know what did I do in this world to deserve this what mm. I feel like everything was taken away um, and I was stuck and there was no the hardest part was that there was no definitive answer it's not like okay you need to wait this amount of time and then your stitches are going to heal and then we're going to take them out and then you're going to be fine it was yeah. all in my brain um, and uh I was, uh, I was supposed to have a big party for my 21st birthday. That didn't happen. And uh, the day after my 21st birthday, I was actually talking to my good friend on the phone um, who was in Montreal at the time. And uh, she got a message from the assistant national team coach of the Australian synchronized swimming team. And she reached out to her because... Um, she knew she had dual citizenship, Australian Canadian dual citizenship. And she asked if she was interested to uh, come and try out for the Australian national team and the hopes of going to the Olympic Games, and, and we were talking on the phone, and my parents are Aussie too, and then she says to me, you could do it too. And initially I was like, no, no. <laughs> there is no way, like, don't be silly, I am concussed, I'm in Canada, I was never really that good at synchro, like, I'm not, I'm not good enough, there's absolutely no way, but then I, I was kind of, I thought about it for a while, and I was imagining sitting um, in front of the TV in 2016 um, and watching it and wondering and sitting there as if I hadn't gone after it. Yes. And I realized that I'd be sitting there wondering, God damn it, I wish I was just brave enough to try because what if I just gave it a shot and what if I made it happen? And I think that like thought of what if it was possible yes. just penetrated into my mind and I couldn't let go of it. And then I realized I would rather try and fail than always wonder what if. And I think so many people out there, they just, they are, it's the fear. They don't let themselves step into that fear because that's out of their comfort zone. And the possibility of failure in quotation marks is very high. Um, so they're just not even going to go after it. But then they look back, they're like, oh, what if I was just brave enough? Um, and uh, I went to my parents and bless their cotton socks. They're lovely, beautiful human beings, um, very supportive. And I, I kind of told them the situation. I was like, I want to go for it. I want to go to the Olympics. And they kind of laughed in my face because they're like, I was crazy. I was so crazy. What was I thinking? Like, I still think that now. Um, but I was so determined to make it happen. So, you know, I, I went and talked to everyone that I could about concussions to try and recover as fast as I could. I really listened to, um, you know, 
what the doctor said and I started to recover as well as started to have to train myself to um, get back in shape to make the Australian team and within about six weeks of that phone call um, that was like mid-November January 1st I was flying to Perth never been to Perth for a training camp um, for the Australian team and uh, it was such a bizarre experience you know I thought <laughs> yeah well I, you know it was it's weird I had this feeling meeting everyone on, on my teammates and realizing that you had, I had no idea who these strangers were but they were going to be a big part of my life moving forward I don't know if you've <laughs> ever had that experience you meet someone and then you realize you know they're going to be hanging out yeah we're going to be hanging out <laughs> um, and I also sucked <laughs> as well so that was a bit of a uh, not a slap in the face I knew that I had a long way to go it was a bit of a wake-up call and um but it also set a fire on my butt because as much as it was hard, I also saw the possibility that I could make the team. Um, and within seven months of um, getting that first call, I officially dropped out of university, packed up my whole bags um, and left all my family. Yeah, all two of them <laughs> and uh, left my family behind and, and flew here with so much determination to make it happen because I think what did I they have to say when you said, right, I'm going. <laughs> I think I know they did, we had the laugh bit. Yeah, they, I, they, at first, I think naturally being my parents, um, were they just didn't want me to be set up for failure. I think that they, you know, they parents never want their children to be in pain or be hurt, and they just, um, I think they were very wary of it. And I, I've spoken to them quite a bit afterwards, and they are so supportive. They wanted me to go after it, but they were afraid that I was going to fail and it was going to, you know, break me. Um, but I luckily, one of my traits is I'm very stubborn and determined. And, you know, there's not really anything that they could say to me because I was an adult and I was going to, I was going to go after and I was going to do it. Um, and that was the, that was it. Um, and, uh, I kind of just didn't think about what the other possibility was. And I had my heart set on this and, uh, I, I moved to Perth and I eventually started to get better. I started to improve and I, I made it on the team and within less was your progress greater here than it was yeah it was greater because i was training with um my teammates that were on the australian team i was training with the assistant national team coach at the time um we were training you know it's hard in an individual sport i mean in the team sport to train by yourself um and that's what i was doing in canada and so just to be with the structure um of having a coach and going to training Mm. sessions every day and doing it with your teammates just um, helps my improvement so just so I understand this, mm. um, you get selected as part of a, a bigger group. So mm. it's not like, let's say, for instance, um, let's take rugby as an analogy. Everyone's yeah. playing for their local club and then yeah. the best of the best get picked to go and play for the national side. But yeah. you're always playing for your local club. Yeah. You know, um, you're not you know part of a local club that then feeds into a national squad oh we were yeah yeah so I was part of um the at the time there was only one club in Perth um now there's two but um we were part of that club and then we'd go to national team training camps um and put in our expression of interest to try out um and go to the camp and then be selected onto the squad um of 12 and then swim in the eight that's right and do you um, do you get selected as a team or is you it get individ- selected individually? Right. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that was a hard thing because I loved doing synchro for the team 
the camaraderie and I kind the of local team. yeah and I kind of realized that I finally had to like watch my own back and, and do it for myself um I'm because I'm I think I'm a really good team player um I thrive in that environment and that's one of um I just work well with other people I think and um I realized that you know that's not going to make me selected onto the team I actually individually have to be good enough um so focusing on myself um and being really self-aware and what I was good at and what I was mm. bad at was something that really helped um as an athlete I journaled um almost every day I'd write down what my goal was for the training session what I wanted to accomplish that week what I wanted to accomplish that month and right. reflect on it um and I think be really really honest with my efforts um I think quite often like if you're going towards a goal or or something you can uh if you can just move through the actions you can just do the thing you know you show up to say you know you want to lose weight you just show up at the gym and you go there but be really honest with yourself of how much effort did you put into what you did today um, because that effort is going to have a direct um, show you your result on the other end and I, I had to put in as much effort as I could every day and I did start to improve and um, yeah I was within less than a year of getting my concussion I was swimming on the Australian team at the World Cup uh, which was just like a pinch me how the frick did I get here moment mm. <laughs> if you look back now did the concussion have to happen I think so. Yeah. I think that, um, I just believe that it was a pinnacle part in my journey. And I think that it, I needed, yeah, I just needed to be, I have always been a busy, I don't like the word busy, but I have always tried to do lots of things and it slowed me down and it stopped and it made me, um, think about what I wanted to do with my life because at the time you know I was also in uni but I was also really unsatisfied um I remember writing down a couple weeks before my concussion I was just not inspired with my life um and you know I always had this belief and I just had this desire to be great and um I think that you know I I went to university because I thought that's the way it has to be and I thought that's the road you have to go down and I was studying something I was studying art history (laughs) I thought that's you know this is what everyone does so this is what I have to do and it it wasn't my thing it wasn't my jam Mm -hmm. And, um, I think that, you know, I, I believe in the power of the universe and I think it kind of stopped me and then shook me and it was like, no, 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 this no. is that's not your path. You, not, you're yeah. somewhere different. And then you need to sl- have a moment to slow down because I had a few months where I just literally had to rest, which was, I think really important for my body. Cause I then went into like pretty much four years straight of training on the national team, all those mm. hours a day. So, you know, that needed to happen and I needed to get, have those moments of clarity without the busyness of life where I had to really reflect on what I wanted. Um, and I think that clarity as much as it was hard and it was sad, um, helped me go after my goal. Mm-hmm. Outstanding. So you're here in Australia, you're starting to train. Yeah. Um, so what do those, what does it, what does like a, a daily weekly routine look like for you? You know, for, for those two years leading up to getting selected for the national team. Yeah. What does? Yeah. So um, we talked it, about you know, super nice swimmers work really hard. Yeah. We what, so what do you do? You're in the it gym, was always you're doing laps. Yeah. You sitting at home watching TV, holding your breath. <laughs> That'd be nice. I'd like that. <laughs> um, no. So we are not centralized in Australia. So we had our team was split up between Queensland, Victoria, and Perth. So we would, um, depending on the year, sometimes uh, two weeks out of every month, we'd be going to the AIS um, um, in Canberra or to have a training camp in Perth um, where we would be all together and train full time. And then um, when we were separate, we'd have to train individually with our clubs. Um, And when we were training full time, like I said, it was six hours a day. 
you know, six days a week. Um, and it was intense. And when we we're at home, you know, we did a lesser load. So sometimes it was only five hours a day, um, <laughs> six days a week. Um, and our training pretty much, we do about an hour. We try and do about an hour of stretch every day, um, because it's really important in synchro to be flexible. Um, and then we would spend about three hours in the pool. We do. So I kind of joke at swimmers cause their workout is our warm up. You know, we do laps as uh, to warm up ourselves. Um, so we spend about 45 minutes doing to an hour doing that and we spend um you know the next so you're couple doing hours what? freestyle freestyle um laps we do workouts you know sometimes two um, four times 200s we do hypoxic workouts so holding our breath yeah. we'd have to sprint Breathing to one side seven, yeah and then breathe, uh, swim all the way under the pool on the way back um, and on a time um we then we'd go into our technical work so we work on our body alignment so um and our sculling because sculling um mm -hmm. helps us stay out of the water and so we daily have to go over our technical um uh elements of our of our sport to be able just to improve just the basics yeah. every day we do the basics and then we go into our routine um, and practice our routine for and do workouts for that and then i do recovery afterwards then if we'd have physio or massage or some we'd have gym as well so you know it's full on um and then you know because we weren't funded a lot of us would have to go to work after that um mm. you know sometimes i'd be working working to one in the morning wake up at five to go to training you know <laughs> well, what were you doing um i did lots of different things you know i was bar I was working in a restaurant, I coached, I worked in a bookstore, and that was kind of like all of our teammates. You just got what you could um, to be able to uh, get by, pretty much. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. How, um, was there any bits during that journey where you're thinking, oh, what's all this about? Am I yeah. actually getting that? Yeah, I think I had... Um, I had dark spots? Yeah, there was quite a few moments where I just thought, you know, I would... It's not that I, I was very set on the goal and I, I was gonna, I was knew I was gonna get to the trials. I was worried about obviously making it on the Olympic team. Mm. Um, and I remember some moments where I was just so tired. Like I'd cut, I, it was a few days I'd come home to my partner and I would just like sob because I was exhausted. And I thought, and I, I was, said to him like I still have a year and a half of this and <laughs> I am so tired you know between just the mental stress of you know the finances of it all and then on top of that training and the pressure of you know getting to Olympic Games and living up to you know um, being able to believe in yourself and then the expectations of everyone you know around you that you know a family and friends that say you know my daughter or my sister or whatever is going for the Olympics you know this, the pressure of that is um, unbelievable so I it's so many days where I was just just wanted to give up because I was exhausted um, but I just didn't let myself lose sight of that goal um, and realize you know who I was becoming in the process mm. 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 so when you go to the um, the, the tryouts the yeah for to, to get on the Olympic team yeah it yeah it's a team sport but mm. How, how does that all look and feel? How does that work? Yeah, so for us, we had um, our five uh, international judges fly in from around the world, and we pretty much had three days, um, uh, two to three days of trials, where we had a day where we did our technical routines, a day where we did our free routines, and then a day for um, the duet, so two people. Um, and uh, we had this whole list of criteria that we had to go through and we were marked on everything and ranked. Um, and then the top nine made it on the team and the bottom three didn't. Um, and, uh, it was, 
What was it like <laughs> going into that? Because that's the apex. Yeah, that's exactly. All that, that yeah. low time, the mm. tiredness, the uprooting. Yeah, that was that was such a hard thing to go into. And, you know, I, I had this, I was reflecting a lot moving into Olympic team trials and it kind of made me realize as much as, you know, I say, I'd rather try and fail than always wonder if, what or, what if, when you're actually faced with the possibility that you might not achieve your goal, it's really freaking terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I was just thinking, holy shit, you know, my partner at the time had moved across the world for this. I had given up everything. I had stopped my degree. You know, I was like, had no money. <laughs> I like, everyone was believing in me. And what if I didn't do it? What if I didn't live up to the expectation that other people believed in me? And what if I failed? and I didn't um, prove to myself that I was good enough Um, and that kind of led me to realizing that it's not it wasn't about the Olympics you know it it was and obviously I'm you know I, I got there and I'm so proud of that but it was actually about the process of going after it and the fact that I actually did something so crazy that I moved across the world and went after this impossible goal and that I went after it with everything inside of me and I did it because I loved it and I gave everything to it and I was so determined and I was so passionate and I sacrificed so much. That is what mattered because that had proved proven to me that I was good enough. That proved to me um, that I was capable, that I was strong, that I was confident because the person that I became in the process is who I am today. Um, you know, th- that being an Olympian, it is a beautiful and very honorable title, but the person I am is from the experiences that I went through in that majority of time. And especially in synchro, when we go out there, you know, I said, we have a three minute routine and a four minute routine. We compete, I competed on the Olympic stage for seven minutes, you know, and that's longer than, you know, someone like, yeah, exactly. Longer than, you know, Usain Bolt who goes out there for 10 seconds, but, um, it goes by so fast, you know, and, um, I barely remember my Olympic swim and standing up there on stage at the end, it just makes you realize like, holy shit, it's not about the swim. (laughs) It's actually about everything I did to get here. Because if I had taken everything else out and just had the seven minutes of my life, I would not be the person that I am standing here today. I'd be someone completely different. And I am proud of myself because of the process and everything that I went through to get there. And I think sometimes like, through yeah making yourself accountable exactly and just continue following continue. through in the face of like doubt sometimes in the, in the face of being scared i think a lot of people like i said stop because they're scared and and scared of what? they're scared of failing they're scared of not living up to their own expectations but when you get into it you realize that you're not failing you can never mm. fail it's only a stepping stone you know if i didn't make the olympic team i would still think for the most part i would be the person that i am here today just without the olympic title um and uh you know, I think especially in this world where we always talk about setting your goals and I do too. Um, and, and you know, going after what you love and, and that thing, you want to work towards that thing, whether that be a car, whether that be a house, whether that be a number on the scale, whether that be, you know, whatever it is that people get so set on that thing that they forget that what they get from the process of getting there mm. is the success of who they will be not that actual thing because if you don't realize that you will always be unsatisfied you know and there's people that I you know I spoke to this uh, Olympic team coach that competed I'm sorry she coached Spain and they won a silver medal in 2012 and 2008 and she said she stood there as she watched her athletes get a silver medal and she felt empty because it wasn't about that it wasn't about the medal. It was about the sport that she loved. It was about the process mm. that it took to get them there. It was about all those experiences and all those friendships and all of that. 
that's why she did what she did, not for that medal. And, you know, some people's experiences may be different, and I'm not trying to invalidate an Olympic medal because it is amazing. But um, I think that often we lose sight of that uh, when we're going towards the goal. I think uh, I heard it recently put, it's it's difficult to receive, uh, it's difficult to find achievement. uh, No, it's difficult to find fulfillment running on the track of achievement. Yeah, exactly. And if you're not fulfilled... It's just, uh, you know, that thing, that achievement is going to feel empty. It feels empty. You're never going to be satisfied. And you're going to keep going in that same cycle until you realize um, how you are fulfilled. Um, and I think that was important for me, realizing that, you know, it, it was about the sport that I loved with the people that I did it with, uh, with the country that I loved, going after something that was hard and I pushed through it. And that was fulfilling. So when you got actually selected yeah and you knew that you were going to Rio yeah how (laughs) listening to your story how difficult was it to keep your concentration because you've achieved your goal yeah you still got to go to the Olympics yeah 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 for sure and it was like I remember (laughs) I got the phone call didn't sleep at all like the night before and got this phone call it was a 10 second phone call oh yeah you made the Olympic team like the president of Singer Australia was very casual about it all and I was just bawling my eyes out because you know everything comes back to you everything like I just did it um and it was so proud and it was I think the best part of it all was sharing that because it was my thing but it was also like my partner at the times thing it was also my family like everyone was was behind me it wasn't just me and I love that now I have you know I have the gift of being able to tell my parents to be able to say that their daughter's an Olympian like I'm so proud that I gave them that because um, I don't really walk. I don't walk around and say that I'm an Olympian. My friends no. like you do sometimes, but um, it's not about that. And, you know, I think moving on to the, the path. So we had about five, six months in the lead up mm. from What'd being you do selected. In that time? We had, we just twiddled our thumbs. No, yeah, I was just kidding. Say, <laughs> we, our train ladies yeah. are brought together. You yeah. Our training ramped up. Um, you know, we were centralized pretty much for that whole process. So, you know, like I said, the good when, training when six days a week, uh, all over the place. We were in Perth. Um, we went to Japan for a competition. We were back in Perth. We went to the AIS. We went to Spain. We went to Hamilton Island. We came back to Perth. We went to the AIS. Like we were just nomads pretty much for a few months. And, um, then we went to Rio and I think the, I was really proud that I knew that that experience was fleeting. Um, and, you know, sometimes my teammates, they like, I laugh because they, I always show up to the pool with a smile and they're like, oh, you're so annoying. Why are you always so happy? <laughs> but I just realized that as much as some of those days, like, were so hard and I was so tired that this moment of this period of going and leading up into Olympic games was so precious that I honestly made sure I enjoyed every single day because it's going to be gone so fast. Yeah. I enjoyed the work. Um, you know, some days better than others, you know, like I, I'm human being some days were really hard but at the end of the day I was like I am so proud of, of what I am doing and I am going to be present and, and appreciate every moment because it's going to go by so fast and I think you know it would have been really easy obviously we were looking forward to the games um, but it would have been really easy to just kind of wish the time away and hope to get to the Olympics but I just like I said I love the process um, and it was I'm so proud of myself that I kind of made sure that I grasped every moment of that in the lead up to the games and I think that really inherently led into my fulfillment at the end of the day um being able to go there um come eighth come last (laughs) at the Olympics and and be proud of what I did and have no regrets Mm -hmm. so what was it like when you went 
Oh. What was the opening ceremony like? What's the, what's, what's the village like? It's so Who funny. You yeah, so many people. Like, I got back and like people were like, so how was the Olympics? I'm like, that's like the most loaded question you could ever. Have. Like the greatest experience of my entire life. But I can't just like so that I just was like, it was good. It was good. <laughs> but um, it was just a sensory overload. Honestly, it was so amazing and. The weirdest part I found from all of it is you kind of have to make everything less amazing in your mind. Because if you're walking around thinking every day, oh my God, I'm at the Olympic Games. This is so cool. <laughs> like you're not focused. Yeah, I was and going to Yeah, that. you're not in the moment. you're there to do a job. Yeah, you're there to do a job. And I think it was funny. Like one of the things I said like in passing was like, oh, I'm so annoyed. I don't get to like sit at home for two weeks and watch the Olympic Games because I got to <laughs> compete at it. <laughs> I was obviously yeah. really proud to be there, but it's such a different what, experience being an athlete. It's over a fortnight. What day yeah, was it on? Yeah, so we um, were on about the second or last day of the game. So we were right at the end. So we oh, had to train every day. <laughs> yeah, but I, it, it was, you know, we knew it was going to be that way. Mm. And I appreciated that, you know, every moment of training and kind of, it was weird because you're in this weird bubble of like, everything's normal. Like it's normal to be at the Olympic games because you have to make it normal to be able to be in the mind frame, to be able to train every day. It's normal to see like people walking around with gold medals around their neck. Um, it's normal to be living in the Olympic village. It's normal to be seeing all these like sports stars everywhere you go. It's just so bizarre looking back. And um, one of my favorite moments that I like really enjoy sharing is we got to walk in the opening ceremonies. Um, and uh, a lot of people don't know, but most athletes can't walk in the opening ceremony because it, the process of it is absolutely exhausting. And yes. if you compete in the You're first few days, yeah, you you know, we left um, the village at 5 p.m. and we got back at 3 three in the morning. Um, and, you know, when you're in the, the stadium, you, you can't go to the toilet, you can't sit down, you can't eat, you know, so for athletes, those yeah, <laughs> three yeah. vital problems. Um, yeah. But uh, I had always, like, I've always been an Olympic lover and I always remember sitting down every, like, two years for winter and summer games and sitting down and watching the opening ceremonies. And maybe this is me, you know, having some intuition that it would be in the future, I don't know. But um, I, would, I would cry because I'd watch those athletes come out there and I just had so much pride for what each individual person had achieved to get there. So actually being there and realizing that, holy fuck, I am going to be walking into this stadium <laughs> myself was absolutely insane. And, you know, we we were right at the front. Obviously, Australia's beginning of the alphabet. And me and my teammates, like, pushed our way up to the front. And Anna Mears is holding the flag. And um, we start to walk through this really dark tunnel. So it's, like, quite a long, dark tunnel that you have to walk through to get into the yeah. stadium. And um, I was just buzzing like it just felt like I was flying and I was holding my teammates hand and squeezing her hand so hard and we walk into this tunnel and it just felt like I just started crying my eyes out because it felt like this such a beautiful metaphor of everything that I had gone through like all of those hard times the times where I was so exhausted I wanted to give up the times where my lungs were like convulsing inside of me the times where me and my teammates went through all of the hard shit all of the things stuff that made us resilient like we were walking through the tunnel to the light and the light was the Olympic games. Um, and I was crying and you know, my, the, someone on the Aussie team starts yelling out, Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. And then everyone responds, oi, oi, oi. And just over and over and over again, we're just yelling, Aussie, 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 oi, 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 at the top of our lungs, like chanting from our souls mm. and holding my teammates hand and realizing like I stepped out into the light of that stadium. Like I put my phone in my pocket and I was like, holy shit, I did it. 
I became an Olympian in that moment. That's what I believed, you know. Mm. I think it wasn't truly until I competed, but, like, I proved to myself that I was good enough. Um, and it was just the most overwhelming emotional experience of, of my life. And to do that, I think, I, by my for myself was amazing, but I did that with my teammates who are some of my greatest, you know, friends um mm. and i call them my synchro soul sisters and do that together to share that happiness because i feel like happiness is only real when shared um was just you know and with the australian team was just magical like indescribable and um it's just on such a high after that um and then you know it's funny the day after obviously we didn't drink but you kind of feel like you have a hangover because it's like an yeah. emotional hangover yeah. and you know we went to training the adrenaline and, yeah huge. the adrenaline's insane then we had to next morning we went to training for six hours and, and did that for another two weeks and until we um actually got to compete yeah <sighs> it was great <laughs> yeah, it was yeah um and then actually getting to the day that we were going to compete was you know, it's this weird experience because you train in the pool. Um, I think lots of people don't realize, but you're training in that venue every single day. So we're training in the Olympic pool that we're going to compete in every single day. So it becomes this weird normal, like mm. I was saying before, this weird regular experience. Um, and you now you just got to do with the lights, camera, action, the suit on, the makeup, the hair gelled. Um, and it kind of, you know, re reiterated, you know, we just went out there and did the same thing that we'd done a hundred times, but this one was our Olympic performance. And that's the one that everyone's going to watch for the rest of my life. And it just reminded me of as much as I'm so grateful for that moment. And we went out there and we did everything we could, like you just put it all on the table and we had prepared as much as we possibly could. I just reminds you that, you know, it's not about the seven minutes. It's not about three minutes and the four minutes. It's actually about the, all the, the getting there. Yes. Um, like I've said, and I just, I just believe that so much. Mm-hmm. How has life changed since? Oh, life changed. I think the weirdest thing was because I was so set on a goal, um, my August 19th, 2016, my life did not go past that date. That was the second day that we competed. Um, and I, because it's this weird world that you live in when you're going towards an Olympics where everything exists up until that day and you can't really let yourself think past that day because you just need to focus. And then time continues. And I literally got to the day after and I was like, I haven't thought about life afterwards at all. And it was really emotional and really hard and, you know, kind of coming back and you're on such a high. But then, you know, I came back and I have I, I'm not complaining. I have no regrets. You know, I came back, had no money, um, had a few hundred dollars in my bank account. I had to get a job, worked at a restaurant, um, did some nannying and kind of figured out what I wanted for my life from then on because I didn't have the luxury of thinking about it in the lead up to the games. Um, and, you know, since then I, I competed again on, on the, uh, the world championships team in 2017 last year and taken this past year kind of often fin just finished my uni degree last week. And it's just kind of the process of moving on and figuring what is next and who am I outside of being an Olympian and, and what defines me as much. I'm proud of that, you know, um, what more can I get out of life? And that's been a learning process and it's taken me a couple of years to figure it out. And I feel like I'm more on that path now, but, um, <sighs> I don't regret any of it, but mm. it is hard. Mm-hmm. What have been some of the unexpected benefits of the journey? Oh, unexpected benefits. Um, that I've got the ability to meet so many amazing athletes. I think has, I've just loved that and hearing other people's stories because as much as like my story to getting to the Olympics is a bit 
different but it's not unique there's the people that go out there and represent our country the stuff that everyone's been through is absolutely insane you know and the amount of athletes that I spoke to after the games we were at a welcome home parade in Sydney about to walk out of the opera house the amount of athletes I would chat with they didn't have a home to go to they didn't have a job they didn't have a car they didn't have any money because everyone had given everything for the Olympic Games you know I think a lot of people have this perception that you go to an Olympics and you're a superstar and you're really wealthy and that's just (laughs) not the case Um, but no one was complaining they're like this is the way it is and I don't regret anything because I achieved Mm. the best thing I ever could in my life I can do all that later exactly Um, and uh, that has been such a benefit Learning more about um, Paralympic sports, getting to meet some Paralympians, like wheelchair basketball, man, amazing sport. (laughs) It's just just getting to meet all those different people and being able to fly around the world, you know, with my teammates um, and have that joint experience and all those memories has been beautiful. Um, We're really lucky that uh, one of our major sponsors is Hancock Prospecting. So I've gotten to meet Mrs. Reinhardt quite a few times, had some pretty unbelievable experiences spending time with her. Um, You know, we got to um, go up to her mine site and then we got to go to Uluru with her and have some amazing experiences just so meeting those you know elite people you know meeting the prime minister meeting Julie Bishop all of those stuff you know just kind of the pinch me moments and um, you're like how did I get here who am I <laughs> how am I this person I remember we like had this weekend with Mrs. Reinhardt you know who's uh, a lovely human being and so kind to us and the day afterwards I, my $900 car broke down on the freeway <laughs> And I was just thinking, like, the polarity of my life, just the experience is so bizarre. You know, the day before I'm hanging out with a billionaire and the day after I can't really even afford to get my car towed <laughs> on the highway. So, um, yeah, it's been a, it's been an incredible journey. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, where do you find the motivation to go again now? Because you, yeah. like you said, everything went mm. up to that day. Was yeah. 19th of August. Yeah, 19th of August, 2016. We're now in 2018. Yeah. You know, there's the World Champions next year. Mm. There's the Olympics after that. Yeah. How do you find it in yourself to want to go? Yeah, I, I still am. And is un- it the same? Or mm, I'm still undecided um, on, you know, I'm, I'm going for the first phase of our Olympic team trials at the end of November. Um, but uh, I'm still undecided if I want to go for the Olympics again. Um, that I think that? because I the Olympics is the most magical experience in the world, but I feel like I have a lot more to give in this world. Um, and I, I really would love to pursue that in whatever form that is. Um, Mm. you know, I'm trying to write a book about my experience. Um, I love motivational speaking whenever I get the chance. So pursuing those avenues avenues is something I'm really interested in and synchro as amazing as it is, it's very all consuming and going after, um, to Olympics is kind of like you put a pause on your life because you can't do anything else. Um, but at the end of the day, I think my internal struggle, at the moment is I just love it so much Um, and so figuring out um, what my path is is still where I'm at and I think you know I I think it's okay to not know Um, Mm. I'm really excited about going to world championships and being part of the mixed duet Um, as to the Olympics I still don't know but no matter what if I'm there if I'm not like um, yeah I'm still going to be an Olympian at the end of the day just (laughs) a dual Olympian or a one-time Olympian it's funny when I got to the village um people are like oh is this your first Olympics and you're like ah this is just the pinnacle of my entire life but yeah no (laughs) only been once sorry (laughs) yeah um sorry I got got caught up that's okay um so what what have been some of the key learnings that uh, about yourself mm. through this journey you know there's 
are continually hearing what you say. Mm. Oh, you know, I was never the one who's any good, mm. or this, that, and the other. These, you know, as I listen to you, there's almost this. I achieved this amazing thing, and then within seconds, you're all, you're also going, <laughs> oh yeah, but you know, I'm I'm kind of like this at the same time. Yeah, yeah. What what have you actually learned about yourself? I think us? that that's a really good question. Uh, I think the reason why I like ha- jump back and forth is just because I like. I think reminding myself of who I was mm. gives me appreciation for who I am and also like reminds others that you don't have to be this incredible human being or think of yourself ridiculously highly to achieve something great. Like I was an average Joe um, and I made it happen at, through a lot of determined self-belief and, and passion and hard work. Um, and I think what I've learned from that is I know now that I can do anything, even though my self-doubt will always you know, pop into my head. I, I've Where truly, does the self-doubt come from? Just always not believing I was good enough. Um, I think being younger, not believing I was good enough, not being pretty enough, not being the right uh, figure as an athlete, not being the right weight, all of that stuff um, that was just ingrained in me and I don't know why. Um, and that is my thing. So here's a question yeah. for you. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like I'm turning it into a yeah. therapy session. What, okay. ne- what <laughs> needs to happen for you to feel good enough? Believe that I'm good enough. Yes. And I, I do because I know that I can achieve anything, but I, it's... But what needs to actually happen? say it I am good enough is that the answer (laughs) I don't know I'm asking you the question um I think just for me it's always working at it Uh, I think it's never like I said it's never a end um, point for me it's continually reminding myself that I can achieve what I want when I put my mind to it continually reminding myself that I am good enough and always working at myself it, it never stops um, and always trying to grow always um, trying to become better and always um, figuring out what is next for me because um, like I said I believe that I, I can do great things and what are the, mm. what would be those great things going forward I said there's more to give yeah I, I like I said I really I think that my uh, journey there to the Olympic Games and and on this process has been a bit different to a degree um, from most people and and I love having the opportunity to share that, not for me. Um, I mean, it's great. I mean, it feeds my ego, but that at the end of the day, who cares? Um, Because I really believe that I was gifted this opportunity um, and it would be a, it would be such a shame for me to not sh- do something more with that because it is so much greater than me. Like who gets a call up to get go to the Olympic Games when they're not a, a like anywhere near being a good enough athlete and then does it because they figure out that they are good enough along the way. Mm. You know, that is like I truly believe that that story needs to help other people go after what their goals are and because you know this world is going to thrive after off of people doing what they love and what I love is inspiring other people to do what they love (laughs) and Mm. sharing that love that passion that I have for life and and is um, that your purpose I believe it is uh, sharing my love with the world um and my light with the world I think um as scary as it it is and and it can sound sometimes um but you know, I will do everything that I possibly can to get there. Mm. And I will achieve it at the end of the so day. So what does the next three to five years look like for you? Um, I'm going to publish my book. <laughs> Scary. I'm continuing working on um, my public speaking and get myself out there um, as much as I possibly can. And I would love to, you know, tour it and, and show my, share my story. And, you know, it is bigger than just this. There's many more aspects of it that cannot be covered in, in an hour and um, work on that. And I want to be the best version of myself to be able to do that. You know, I'd love to kind of looking for a, a mentor or a coach to like help me get there at the moment. And, um, 
I think sometimes it's okay to not know exactly what it is, but keep heading towards the direction of what you love and what fills you up and you will get there at the end of the day because I wish I had the exact concrete answer and then know the exact time that I was going to achieve everything, but that's not possible. But I'm just continuing to... <laughs> yeah, it just continuing to head in that direction of knowing this is what I love, this is what lights me up, this is what I believe that I'm good at and, and I'm going to keep working towards that direction. And, and um, yeah, it's okay to not know always know the answer. Mm. yeah awesome um what's danielle grateful for oh so many things i couldn't even i every morning i wake up and i i remind myself of what i'm grateful for but um you know i think obviously my family obviously my friends my nieces and nephews um all the people in my life grateful for living in this country grateful for living in perth grateful um for everything that I have in my life that has brought me to this point today but I also think it's like to be grateful for the little things that people don't think about like I'm grateful to be in a country where I can breathe in fresh air and it fills me up grateful to be able to go outside and step on the grass and have the freedom to do that grateful to be have water that comes out of my tap that I can drink because a lot of people cannot do that grateful to have access to food that is going to fill me up and like fuel me and heal me and all that stuff like I think sometimes obviously everyone's grateful for their family and friends and you know that's not that that is important too but like just the little things that I think people take advantage of because we live in this fast-paced world where we don't get the chance to like sit down and be like holy shit the sun is shining on my face and I'm standing outside and I'm breathing and my heart is beating and I'm walking and that is enough you know wow yeah that is cool (laughs) yeah thank you um what do you do you have any sort of daily routines, habits that keep you grounded? Oh, and, and... yes. I've gotten a lot better at this lately. Um, but now I've realized that um, to fill up, you know, if I want to do great things and um, spread my love and light with the world, I need to fill myself up first. Um, and it's always a uh, journey. But for now, like every morning I wake up and I remind myself what I'm grateful for. And sometimes it's as simple as like, I am sleeping in a bed. I have a roof over my head. Um, and I you know, it always changes. And then I uh, work on doing meditation. I meditate every morning, um, almost every morning. Um, And even if it's just like a few minutes, that's enough. Just having that kind of stillness. Um, And even if you can't get your mind clear, just use your meditation as um, reminding yourself of what you're grateful for and envisioning where you want to be in the future um, and bringing that into this world. Um, And then I read, um, I remind myself of my daily affirmations. I have a little like book that I read um, reminding myself of that. What sort of affirmations do you have? Um, I'm strong, I'm capable, I'm confident, yep. you know, along those lines. Um, I do my breathing. I uh, do my Wim Hof breathing in the mornings. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, then I write in my journal, you know, whatever it may be. Some days, if I'm not feeling that great, it's just writing that down, just getting it out. Some days it's a word, some days it's a page, some days it's three pages. Um, just getting that out to the world and then having that. Somet- sometimes this whole thing, if I don't have enough time, it's like seven minutes long. Other days it's half an hour. Um, yeah. And then I feel like I'm filled up and I can go and do my day and be the best person that I can be moving forward. Um, and I think I've been really working on that the past little while. And I, I think it's helped um, lift myself up to be a better person for this world. Mm. Awesome. Yeah. If you could go back and give the concussed Danielle a piece of advice <laughs> from here where you are now what would that be 
I think um, part of me, I've thought about this a lot, part of me would like to, you know, tell her that it will all be okay because you're going to go to the Olympics. It's going to be great. But like, <laughs> I also, awesome. sometimes you don't want to know the answer as yeah. much as like, I'd like to know where I am in five years, but do I really want to know? I think I would just be reminding myself to trust. Um, trust in the universe, trust in yourself, in your self-belief, and just m- keep moving in that direction, moving in that positive direction, and that it will all be okay if you trust and if you believe. Um, and that's kind of been my mantra in my times where I don't know um, what the answer is going to be in the times where everything feels like it's falling apart um, but you will look back someday and and realize why it all happened to you and it's so cool looking back now and realizing why that concussion happened to me or realizing why the other hard times in my life and I think sometimes when we go through those hard times it's so hard to hold on to anything but just having the trust that it's gonna be okay Mm. and it's gonna get better and one day you will look back and realize why this has all happened to you Um, that's definitely what I would tell myself Mm. Mm. actually I've just thought of another question that's sitting here listening to you because I I normally have a sort of pattern of questions to close down a podcast but you were saying you know if if you could find out where you are in five years time uh, would you want to know no this that and the other but um, if you went forward five years time what sort of advice do you think that Danielle would be giving you now? Oh, that's a really good question. Isn't it? <laughs> um, I don't know. I think, I think it still comes to uh, back to that trust and just reminding myself that I am enough. I think like that's my constant struggle. And everyone has their thing in this life. Um, but, you know, the future me reminding me now that I am enough. I'm doing enough. I'm good enough. I'm a good enough human being. I'm doing the best that I can with what I have. Um, and keep trusting and keep moving in that direction and you will get there. And I, I, I believe that. Um, you know, maybe I'll be more profound in five years. Or <laughs> Um, You've been but, pretty profound. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, just holding on to that belief, yeah, that optimism, I think, yeah, faith in the world. And finally, if you could upload a little, a little nugget of information into the collective consciousness just to make life easier for everybody, mm. what would it be? Um, believe in the power of what is in this universe because it is greater than us and greater than we know right now. Um, and uh, hold on to that and uh, it will all be okay and and life is beautiful like when you choose to see it that way take off your glasses and sit outside for a moment and like put your feet in the grass and and look up at the sun and realize that we are magic you know this world is magic and uh, we are living in this amazing universe and uh, be grateful for that Mm -hmm. Tanya it's been an absolute (laughs) privilege to talk and listen to you today Thank you. it's um not just the journey and the insight into the journey and what it's like to go to an olympic ceremony and all of this mm. that and the other but just actually to share the space and and mm. and, and feel your enthusiasm and 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 your light and love and and how that shines through on your journey and how that has taken you to where mm. you've got to and i'm pretty sure that's going to take you to where else you're going I hope to so. go no i know i know, you know so, so. <laughs> yeah i'd really like you to come back in a, in in a year or two yeah and, and, i'm down and, for that and have another conversation because i want to i want to hear how some of that self-doubt was reduced mm. keep me accountable keep that's good accountable. i could use that <laughs> Indeed. Danielle, thank you so much it's been an absolute privilege thank you thank you <laughs>